0: Oh, this one ought to be fun. Howdy, Toddzillions. Welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave. Escapingthecave.com, ToddzillaX.com. You can hit me up on Facebook as well. Hope you're good. It is uh, Thursday, right? June 18th, 2020. I never introduced myself. For you new listeners, (laughs) I'm the world famous and uh, congenial host, Todd. I'm a ray of sunshine in these dark days. My hope is contagious, I've been trying for 10 years to Is signed on by the uh, hallmark greeting card company, they still haven't called me back, I hold out hope. I have a dream. You're a racist, Todd, you can't, you can't culturally appropriate that, you jerk. Really? Well, <laughs> it would appear I just did. These next couple of podcasts may be an adventure in audio. I tiptoed around the uh, perimeter of this stuff that's going on in this country last uh, episode. (coughs) Excuse me. Got a drink. Sorry. And uh, I suppose it's time to dive into it, isn't it? I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know where it's going to go. I may have to chop this up into segments. uh, But I am concerned about length. Uh, What's about to spew forth from my mouth probably needs to be taken in smaller doses. Just out of respect and concern for you. I don't want to overburden you with my brilliance. (laughs) So be prepared for that. I do have some uh, house cleaning I need to do. Uh, I put out a podcast last month, last one before I took my latest uh, four-week break. A little vacation, if you will, and you just did. And I tore into the uh, militia folks here who were sort of stalking and prowling around the state capitol last month because of the pandemic lockdown. Governor Gretchen Whitmer and her uh, strong-arm tactics, apparently, resembled some sort of fascism or authoritarianism to some people here in the state. Now, I need to clarify something. I supported... I did. I supported the people who were up there actually demonstrating against the lockdown measures in this state. The people were up there saying, open the economy up, leave it up. You know, it's not every part of the state's not being hit the same as Detroit. Why are we being treated the same as Detroit? At the time, I supported those protests. I live in West Michigan, nowhere near, uh, well, a couple hours from Detroit. Detroit was being ravaged at that point in time, but around the rest of the state, something like 80% of the cases and, uh, and deaths were taking place in Michigan because of COVID-19 were happening in the Detroit metropolitan area within the city of Detroit and three metro counties. The vast majority of cases were there. Yet people in Manistee or Ludington or Iron Mountain were locked down just the same despite the fact that the virus was not having that much of an effect on them. That is why I supported what they were doing. What I did not support, however, were the Second Amendment nuts trying to hijack the COVID-19 protests and sort of inseminate it with their Second Amendment grievances. Prowling around the state capitol with firearms in an effort to intimidate lawmakers. We'll shoot you if you don't behave. That's what you're saying, kids. Now, as I continue to sweep the floor here, I support the Second Amendment. I'm with you guys. Do you understand? Can you see the line of demarcation here? The difference between supporting the Second Amendment for a lot of reasons. I've, I've switched on this over the last five years. Most of my reasoning is practical. I have eyeballs. I see where shit's going. I'd like the opportunity to go buy a firearm if and when I need one. I'm with you there. Until you start prowling the Capitol grounds in an effort to intimidate elected officials. If you don't see that, I there's no point in talking any further. I do support your right to bear arms. I've got material that I'm working on. It Actually, it may be in this. I'm not sure. I'll probably go off on a tangent eventually. That's how it feels. I even support you folks who are taking your guns out to protect property during the riots. I do. I have a sheriff up around Grand Rapids in a town called Lowell. Some folks decided they were going to call him and let him know, "Hey, we're going to, uh, you know, exercise our Second Amendment open carry rights, and we're going to go downtown Lowell and protect property in case the rioters decide they want to loot here." He went to Facebook. I think it was on the police department's Facebook page, and showed appreciation and support for that, and he was promptly fired. It's causing all sorts of a stink. Up around Grand Rapids because of First Amendment. You remember Jamel Hill? How she, being the public official or public figure, not official, the public figure she was a few years ago, decided she was going to jump into the political social fray and use her position as an ESPN anchor and start belching out stuff about whatever. I think it might have been Kaepernick. I don't remember exactly she was fired and the left was up in arms oh she still has her first amendment rights and privileges it doesn't matter oh my god she's being silenced and censored where are you hippies now when it comes to this guy same thing he has his first amendment rights and privileges is it because he took to the police department facebook page would it have been better if he had taken to his own private personal account i dare say no has nothing to do with the First Amendment. It has to do with expressing approved opinions and approved doctrine. There's an added wrinkle to this. The man was uh, just getting ready to be able... He was at the cusp, really close to being able to draw a pension uh, when he was fired. I haven't heard a lot of people talking about it, but it looks really weird. Now they don't have to pay him the pension? Really odd. He has an attorney. He's asked the the city to compensate for the lost pension i don't know what happened with that but i do know that his attorney is planning to take this all the way to the state supreme court at some point and i'm i'm sorry he's got a point where's the consistency here you liberal first amendment crusaders when it comes to jamel hill where is your first amendment love protecting the right for a citizen to express his opinion When it comes to an opinion you disagree with or find personally distasteful, where is it? Please do not suffer me, the belches and farts about your First Amendment love. This boils down to approved doctrine, approved scripture. It boils down to blasphemy and burning someone at the cultural stake. We have a new pandemic and that's it. Since the George Floyd protests have begun, the media outlets are both perpetuating and cowering in fear of the engorged, enraged, and throbbing mobs both on social media and in the streets around the country the last few weeks. And, oh yeah, (laughs) the pandemic. I've been trying very hard. To make sure. Because this is is chaos. Relatively speaking, this is chaotic. I've never seen anything like this in my lifetime, and I'm not a young man. (laughs) No, no, no. So I wanted to refrain from just jumping on the microphone and start belching into it. Like a lot of other podcasters are want to do, I wanted to make sure I had a pretty good idea what it was I really wanted to say. I have stacks of it. That's part of the reason that I've been silent lately. It's part of the reason going all the way back to the end of March that I've been silent lately. A lot of podcasters decided to jump on this bandwagon. Ooh, a new, a new obsession, a new worldwide story. Ooh, we can exploit this and sell Xfinity ads now. Woo! Let's put one out every day. A lot of podcasters have done that. I'm not singling anybody out. Person I'm talking to when I say that isn't listening anyway. I decided, you know what? When they zig, you zag. I'm not going to do that. I'm not selling anything anyway. I could have exploited it. The interest and the outrage and the obsession. Not only around the country, around the world. I get a lot of international downloads with this show. I could have exploited the crap out of that. I put a lot of episodes out starting in January through mid-March. A lot of it coronavirus uh, related. A lot of it on the standard topic of social media disease. Media disinformation, stuff like that, propaganda. And then I started to transition to COVID because that's the thing. And the media manipulation starts to play into that. What happened was I had the best download month I've ever had in March. By far. I felt like I was exploiting this. Like a whore. I'm never going to be a very good, uh, 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 an effective (laughs) internet influencer, podcasting influencer. My marketing skills are good. I know how to market. I know how to brand. But I'll tell you, it's abhorrent. I can't do it. When it comes to this, sitting down to the microphone, writing the material up, editing, uploading, and getting my validation from the downloads as they come rushing in, I'm great there. And when it comes to spreading this thing and trying to monetize it, I can't do it. I've never been able to do it with anything I've done. Because as soon as the dollar sign, and I'm both saying this as an indictment to other personalities and influencers, podcasters, once the money creeps in and starts to sort of You know, inflate the revenue. You want more. You need more. Any month where your revenues drop, all of a sudden, oh, my God, what did I do wrong? Am I not putting out the right stuff? Oh, Then you start crafting your material to target your audience so you can get more downloads and more quarter cents for hocking your cheap-ass ads, your annoying ads, your annoying live reads, This is how we got where we're at. I got another piece here. I think I I injected uh, something that I wrote that said, give the people what they want is great for sitcoms, reality TV or whatever. It's fine. It's entertainment. But when it starts coming into things like this, especially the informational news media transitioning from this business, it's the same business model. What I'm talking about here with podcasters and pundits, online pundits, Social media influencers, it's the same exact business model that applies to your electronic media. Across the spectrum, Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, whoever, apply it at will. They are trying to craft a product. They are trying to figure out a way to both sensationalize and manipulate the content so it appeals to you, so your eyeballs or your earbuds are attuned to them. And thereby, the revenues go up. I want no part of that. I will be no part of that. That's what happened with the network. I probably shouldn't say this. I probably ought to just let it go. Move on, Todd. Don't burn your bridges. I am fucking legendary for burning my bridges. But at least I'm honest with you. I'm not going to lie to you. At least I'll tell you. And that's what it was. They were taking my material, which isn't monetized at all, but has a good following. They were taking my stuff and shoving it into this Spotify Franken-feed with all the other shows on that network. Thereby using my listeners as bait to subscribe to this feed thereby downloading all sorts of crap they might not want, like the Aaron Mao Hour or some other shows that are actually pretty good. But if you didn't go there, if you're subscribing to my show on that feed, you're getting all of this other crap. It's like malware coming to your phone, and he's getting paid for it. Was I getting paid? Nope. I was fine with that, but I sure as hell... I'm not going to let my material be used so he can get paid. You can rationalize that any way you want. You can can explain it away. I won't listen. I know what this is. I'm not stupid. I've been in the media for a long time. I spent a lot of years in the media. I'm perfectly well aware and well versed in the art of monetization. It's whorish. And it corrupts. The product. If you're an artist of any kind, you understand the philosophy behind that. Crafting, creating, I don't know, specialized material so people will purchase it from you. That is a product that is not art. That is a product that is not news. Do you understand? where your friendly, congenial tonzilla's coming from. I think you understand the words coming out of my mouth. I don't think you quite quite grasp it. I know a lot of you don't. Some of you do. Hey, hi. (sighs) I feel better for having said that. All right, let's pivot a little bit, shall we? Do I want to talk about politics here? (laughs) Actually, that'd feel like a break, wouldn't it? All right, once again, EscapingTheCave.com, ToddzillaX.com. That's my other website, The Travel Stuff. And you can get me over on Facebook, ToddzillaX at gmail.com. Two Ds. Be careful with your emails. <laughs> you you want to discuss something, that's cool. You want to give me a thought-out opinion, that's cool, too. I like to shine a spotlight on the derp every now and then, though. I get a lot of joy out of things like that. Anyway, so I'm going to do this real quick because... <sighs> Oh, politics. Oh, it's so, I don't know, refreshing. It's nice to go back to those innocent times of just politics, isn't it? I don't have much on this because there's not a lot of politicking going on lately unless you uh, consider Trump's responses and his tweets and all that crap, some sort of campaigning. I'm going to focus on uh, Joe Biden, though, today. And I saw a story on CNN last week. Maybe it was two weeks ago. I forget. Here's the thing. The cattle. The people, the herd, they're worried. They're concerned about Trump. They're concerned about this election. Rightfully so. I've established why a number of times on this show. They're worried that we're going to have four more years of this man. So, again, exploiting political division, giving people the carrot, just like they were in 2016, mind you. A CNN put out an article saying that Trump's, he's in trouble that Joe Biden's approval numbers are up into these historic margins where he's almost implicitly assured of re-election come November. They posted several articles about how Dementia Joe, as I said, way ahead of Donnie Durp implying that uh, he was on course to annihilate Trump in November. Sorry to burst your bubble, kids. But after 2016, riddle me this, after 2016 and everything we went through with uh, Clinton-Trump, uh, Clinton, Hillary was supposed to just annihilate him. According to the polls, according to everything, Trump's going to be dispatched with ease in November. Is anyone who's not desperately looking for morsels of sausage party hope actually depending on polling this time? Where are you? Raise your hand, take the other one, and slap it. I don't give a frog's fat ass about Hillary Clinton's four candidate. This is what they use. They use four candidate poll numbers. Oh, there was only two. They said it was three. Gary Johnson, Trump, and Clinton. Don't forget Jill freaking Stein. There were four candidates on the ballot last election. If you don't believe me, if you'd like to dismiss Jill Stein, I would love for you. I've made the suggestion before. You go check Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Check those raw vote totals. Do a little math between Clinton and Trump. Trump won all three of those states. Do the math of the differential in those vote totals and then go look at Jill Stein's and have nightmares for a week. Four candidate totals. And that's what they were touting. They were were pretending that her numbers were so low as compared to Joe Biden's a two-candidate race. Two. Is there even a libertarian out there this year? I haven't heard about them. I'm sure they're there. On election day, it was supposed to be a a once-in-a-millennium landslide against the worst candidate ever to soil a presidential ballot four years ago. The only thing that could trump Trump was how utterly despised Hillary Clinton was and still is. And that's exactly what happened. Now, is Dementia Joe, is he as despised as Hillary was? Of course not. Other than by Bernie's Antifa babies, no way. People like Joe Biden a lot more than they liked Hillary Clinton. But he has a different, more significant problem. He's in the grips of something resembling early-onset dementia. There's literally, I mean this, literally a 50-50 chance he will not survive his first term. It has nothing to do with his dementia. He's old. He'll be, what, 83? 84 by the end of that term? When's his birthday? I don't know. But let's say he's 79 when he gets elected, takes office at the same age, he'll be 83 by the time the next president is inaugurated. I can't imagine he'll ever run for a second term at that age. Even if he survives, can you imagine where he's going to be in four years? I suspect many, many people, those who are not drunk on one brand of ideological hooch or the other, We're waiting to see who takes over if and when Dementia Joe has his stroke or coronary event. It's important. It's hugely important who the vice presidential candidate is. And of course, of course, because Democrats can never get out of their own fucking way, he makes a solemn, a solemn vaginal slash ovary pledge. Uh, this affirmative action—it's a woman's turn. A long time ago, the most important vice presidential choice probably in American history. This, this, this I don't, uh, decides he's going to box himself into a vagina rather than committing to picking the best person available to run the country in the event he does not finish his term. A very uncomfortably high possibility. Maybe the most qualified person is a woman. Maybe so, but it's not automatic. This affirmative action mindset, it's her turn. the, The thing with Clinton four years ago shouldn't have been, I'm with her. It should have been, it's her turn. It's my turn. Talk to me about this unity shit again, please. Por favor, I need some entertainment. That's not equality. That's standing in queue. Sorry, standing in line. My vocabulary is getting too big. That's where we are. And if he goes woke in fulfilling this solemn affirmative action-esque vaginal pledge, Democrats, I'm telling you, look the hell out. Be careful. Be careful of your expectations in November. Consider ordering those antidepressants now. Get them in advance and stockpile them. All you have to do is look around, man. Take it all in. The state of everything going on. The fact that nearly four years of that orange monstrosity in the White House, the fact that the alternative to Trump is not polling at a solid 85% right now says everything. I took a line from the CNN article that says, Right now, Trump's road will be difficult, if not next to impossible, to win if he doesn't take back voters who are already with Biden. Other historical examples aren't too kind to Trump either. (laughs) The only other challenger at this point who was at or hovering around 50% was Jimmy Carter in 1976, Jesus Harold H. Christ on his throne, who writes this crap. Who is the editor of CNN.com? Are they hiring? I submit an offer? Consider this official to come and edit that piece of shit for free. I will do it pro bono. Who's ever editing this is a hack. 1976, Jimmy Carter beat Richard Nixon's Veep. You know, the guy who quit just before being impeached and removed? Yeah, Gerald Ford took over for Richard Friggin Nixon. He was technically the incumbent, but Gerald Ford was not the incumbent. He was the disgraced stand in who pardoned Tricky Dick. Gerald Ford, he's from Michigan. God bless him. I love him. I love him. I'm proud of the man. Proud he's from Michigan. Proud he was president. He didn't win Dick, he didn't win anything. Jimmy Carter beating Gerald Ford wasn't exactly the electoral equivalent of hurling Zeus from Mount Olympus. I don't care how you frame it. But you have to give the people hope. You know, this isn't about hope. This is about chum. This is about keeping people engaged and and not allowing them to get to, oh, I don't know, downtrodden. They need to be uplifted. I've got so much more on Mencken. Mencken and uplift? Oh, you should thank me. I'm not adding it to this episode. But you need to be uplifted. You need to have rainbows and glitter sort of shoved into an enema and injected into your rectum so you don't get all dejected or you don't see the world as it actually is. And maybe Trump will get his ass kicked. Maybe Biden will run away with this election. He might. Donald Trump's looked like a potted plant for the last month and a half, ever since the Bleachgate yeah, drink disinfected. Ever since that, he's sort of, uh, the only thing he does is take to Twitter. He looks overwhelmed. He looks like he's suffocating. How can you tell with that skin color? He looks like he's flailing around. He may get his ass kicked this November. I am not going to make any predictions about this election right now. He, but he could win. Depending on what Biden does with that vice presidential pick. It'll have a huge effect because it's on the minds of of everybody in this country. What happens if he dies? Nobody's rooting for that. Well, some probably are, but most people aren't. They're concerned about it. Because he's 79 years old, and obviously, mentally, he is slipping significantly. Simple as that. Plus, I mentioned this in another show, that this country hasn't thrown an incumbent president out since Jackal graced your radios with the lumberjack and down on me. I feel the heat of love's flame down on me. You remember that song? That's the last time that this country ejected an incumbent president from office, George Herbert Walker Bush. Ever since then, two terms, two terms, two terms, two terms. Two terms, two terms, two terms. And possibly two terms. Three, possibly four. Donald Trump has a lot of advantages here. And I think you know it. Liberals, I think you know that. That's why I say the fact that the boutique news outlets need to fluff your sense of hope with crap like this. It says far more about the state of this campaign and this election cycle than the asinine article itself. The fact that they need to write it, the fact that they feel the urge to write that, to give you this influx of hope. It's meaningless. Invoking Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter to this? (laughs) And I I invite you to go check General Jimmy's electoral results. I did this back uh, back a couple of weeks ago week ago, whatever it was. I went and checked the results of the 1976 election. I didn't print them out and I don't have them sitting in front of me, but go check that out. He barely beat Ford. Jimmy Carter barely beat Nixon's disgraced vice president in the presidential election in 1976. So, take those poll numbers, do what you want with them. But I don't think they're uh, apples and apples. Not me, not you. Nobody has any idea what's going to happen in the fall. There are too many variables in play to even take a guess right now. The economy. How is it going to rebound? Is it going to come back? Between now and November, despite all the naysayers and the, you know, the, the prophets of doom, talking about the economic apocalypse. And the coronavirus, the second wave apocalypse is coming. I got much more coming on that. Speaking of coronavirus, that's the second one. The second variable. The election is in November. What about that second wave? If it comes, are we gonna be in the middle of it? What about Trump's reaction to it if if it does hit us again? What about voter turnout as a result? Too many variables, too many things can happen between now and November. And I'm telling you, my instincts tell me Biden's pick as that uncomfortably likely successor is just as big, I think, as the other two. If he goes too far left, if he goes woke. <sighs> now, as far as this coronavirus thing goes, and I know I, I, <laughs> I'm making a judgment call here. And I'm going to stick by it. Whether you say it out loud or not, a lot of you on the left are rooting for more semis full of dead bodies. Massive loss of livelihoods just to help ensure that Agent Orange is defeated in November. I know that in my heart of hearts. You won't admit it. A lot of you might not even admit that to yourselves. But there's this little tiny voice in there saying, yes, 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 this is helping Biden. yes. those of you who are the uh, more introspective and reflective listeners, (laughs) contemplate that. Think about that really hard in your mind, huh? Think of it in relation to your profile picture virtue signaling. You know, putting up the little black blank thing. I'm supporting this with my profile picture. (laughs) Go ahead and get back to me about that unity shit. Unity shit that you fart out the other side of your mouth. I'm going to tell you this as we transition off, one thing that will not come into play, it's not going to come into play at all, these protests. I'm talking about the demonstrations, not the rioting. These protests, these demonstrations, are just flating your own choir, boys. People who already agree with you. I know the common narrative is that we're having a great racial awakening in this country, I'd put the brakes on that if I were you. I'd slow down on your expectations, your long term expectations, maybe. Maybe put a governor on that. Take a deep breath. Put the hooch down. Put the ideological hooch down. And get a grip on your emotions because there's more to this. Right now, it's a monologue the defense is going to have a chance to speak whether you like it or not. I'll tell you, if anything, these demonstrations and take it in totality with the rioting that's gone on, I'd say they probably hurt Biden. With images that threaten an already skittish and vulnerable country, with images of leftist revolution and anarchy in the midst of the social and economic chaos already created by covid there's so much uncertainty, so much chaos, and now we get this? You think that's going to help Biden? Don't forget who was elected in 1968, during and after all that racial and social unrest of the 60s. Don't forget why. Martin Luther King knew what the hell he was talking about when it comes to violent protests. Every riot, every fire was a vote for Nixon in 1968. one other thing I wanted to get into, and it sort of involves politics, but it starts transitions towards the uh, George Floyd protests and uh, everything else that's happened here in the country. First off, let me apologize for my voice. <laughs> I haven't been doing a lot of podcasting, haven't been doing a lot of talking. It's weak, and it's going to start to crack up, I think, here in a couple of minutes. It's, it's, it's an effort to talk right now, but I'm going to fight through this. Anyway, Tim Kaine decided he'd jump into the uh, slavery Narrative this week, saying that the American colonies codified slavery into their system, I guess, what, in 1619. Oh, boy. All right. If any of you know Tim Kane, I'd like you to let him know that I, personally, your friendly neighborhood Tonsilla, personally, I have a collection of Thomas Jefferson's writings coming in the mail. It was supposed to be here yesterday. It's a little late, but I'm going to have it. It's this whole book. Library of America book of collection of Jefferson's writings, his original writings, no commentary involved, oh, just his letters, just his uh, documents, stuff like that. And I'm assuming that the uh, parts where Mr. Jefferson repeatedly petitioned the English Parliament to abolish slavery in the English colonies, or at least Virginia. I'm assuming that's going to be in this book, and I really hope it is, because if so, I'm going to post it to my Facebook page. I'll probably bring it to the podcast as well and recite it for you in my cracking voice. And that way, maybe Mr. Kane can have an enlightening peek, a little nuanced peek back into history, the history he should know, considering he was Clinton's vice presidential candidate in 2016. Now, little history lesson here. All of Thomas Jefferson's petitions to abolish slavery were rejected all the way up until the Revolution. Jefferson wrote emancipation into the original Declaration of Independence. But it was struck out in committee in order to ensure a solidified and united colonial front against the British. Yes, politics. Competing special interests, all that crap that we're all so familiar with. I don't remember if it was just them, but to hell with it. Fuck you, South Carolina. We had an opportunity to get rid of slavery on the North American continent, originally blocked by Parliament, probably the king, and then by South Carolina. People were trying to get rid of that abomination all the way throughout. Couldn't. Because of competing special interests. Something else I'll bet Mr. Kane didn't realize is that uh, African chieftains were chief, yes, I did that on purpose, chief among those capturing natives on the uh, African continent. The chieftains, the tribal chiefs, were the ones who were chief among those capturing slaves, often or even usually after they were defeated in battle and then sold or traded to European and Arab slave traders who then eventually peddled him to North American slave traders who were loitering on the Atlantic coast of the continent. You think Mr. Kane realizes that? Probably not. Or he's hiding it, just to jump on board the narrative. As far as that goes, I'm assuming he's taking his cue from that 1619 New York Times revisionist piece we've probably all heard about. Why? Because who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the historical narrative of a country, of a people, of a tribe, of a herd? Whatever controls the future, they determine the storyline. And there is a concerted effort, a concerted effort to both seize and wipe and rewrite the American narrative, the American myth. I've talked about, you know, myths, the American myth, tribal myths, these religions that each and every people, a country, a nation requires in order to bring people together into a cohesive unit, it's all symbolized usually by a flag and a pithy slogan. Liberty and justice for all. You know, I kind care of crap. There's a concerted effort to hijack that and replace it. Here's something I've been thinking back out a lot lately. The education system and what we were taught about slavery as kids growing up, right? And one of the first things I remember asking myself, I was wondering, wait a minute, why didn't the entire African continent just run to the docks and kill these bastards when they sailed in in those slow-ass ships and started to try to kidnap people? Why didn't they just kill them, throw them back in the ocean? Well, turns out there was an answer to that. There was an infrastructure in place that was benefiting. Factionalized African tribes, the slave trade. It's not something you're ever going to hear about. It's not part of the narrative. It's all just whitey bad, whitey bad, whitey bad. There's a hell of a lot more to this story. There's a book that I found uh, by Martin Dugard. I think it's called Into Africa. And it's a story about Stanley and Livingston and how Stanley had to go rescue Dr. Livingston in Africa. Now, I did not read it for this purpose, but in addition to being one of the better true explorer-slash-adventurer books you're ever going to read, Into Africa touches on the slave trade quite well. The established slave trade shortly after the Civil War and, therefore, American slavery ended was based on that period. Both Stanley, who is a fascinating son of a bitch, and Livingston dealt with the slave traders extensively. Depended on them for survival when dealing with hostile tribes. Let me say that again. Depended upon them for survival when dealing with hostile tribes. Let that sentence and that thought sink into your head for just a second. The slave traders kept the explorers, Stanley Livingston, from being murdered by natives. The slave traders had a relationship with the natives that was influential enough to save the Explorers, not vice versa. How, pray tell, could they have such a relationship? How, indeed? Yes, maybe there is just a little bit more to this story than whitey bad. But you're never going to hear about that. Nobody talks about Why? I thought we were having a discussion, a national conversation about race. Ha! My ass. What stands out in this context, there were never North Americans just roaming the African continent, capturing slaves. It was far too expensive and dangerous, dangerous, too far and too expensive, too dangerous to sail across the ocean and go, for lack of a better term, hunting. American colonists were ignorant of the continent and knew it. They realized they'd end up dead. Africa was still called the Dark Continent at that point in time, and no, it has nothing to do with anyone's skin color. It was because it was mostly unexplored, and thus the maps of Africa were empty. The Dark Continent, get it? Uh Uh-huh. Yet, they got their slaves somewhere. Typically, from European and Arab slave traders. Are they going to be getting a reparations bill as well? What about those tribes in Africa? I don't know where they were, but I'm sure we could do some research and send whoever's in charge of the government now. I'm sure we could get a bill to them as well. Because without that, slavery doesn't come to this continent. Because as soon as you went over there and started trying to snatch people up, you're dead. They're going to kill you. There was an infrastructure. Doesn't excuse anything that happened. After 1776, it could have been outlawed. It could have been banished. It took us 90 friggin' years, thereabouts, to get rid of it after that. That's open game. Have fun with it. We have to have a serious, serious conversation about a lot of things in this country. But Tim Kaine, you're better than this. You know better than this. Presumably, you know this history better than I do. You should if you're a goddamn vice presidential candidate. Which leads me to believe you're just blowing propaganda smoke. I don't want to call it disinformation, but spin up somebody's ass. Actually, it is disinformation. It's hijacking. It's revisionist history. It's an outright lie to say that the colonists codified slavery into their system. It was an English policy. We were English colonies. You jackass. You jackalope. What is wrong with you? And at least understand The attempts that went into trying to get slavery abolished before the Revolution. It was unsuccessful. And then why did they own slaves? Because the English outlawed currency on the continent. The economy depended upon it. You could not pay for services. If you had a plantation, if you had a farm, are you going to presume to farm 500 acres by your damn self if you can't pay for labor? The entire system was based on slavery. It was an English colony. Does it excuse the fact that South Carolina or other southern, northern, all sorts of business interests wanted it kept in place? No. But at least understand the historical context and nuance of what you presume to belch about. Or shut the fuck up. Just shut the fuck up. Instead of poking and prodding at this fucking scab, I implore you, if you really, really, really want a clear and relatively nuanced understanding of our original national sin, that likely it can never be atoned for, by the way, because all the people that need to do the atoning for that original sin are dead. It can never be made right. It just can't. And there are elements in this society that don't want to allow it to be made right. There's never going to be a path to forgiveness. It's, all, it's going to be perpetual conflict. Because the debt can never be paid. That's an easy line to take, isn't it? If the debt can never be paid, I am the perpetual victim. Yeah, I am entitled Where's the path here? Where's the path to forgiveness? Where is the path to an even slate here? What is it you want? What would do it for you? I dare say, I dare, I dare, I dare. It can't be. It can't be paid. The ledger cannot be balanced. Regardless of how many Uncle Tom crackers... Sit there and wash feet on the street. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm white, I'm bad, I'm bad. I White privilege. Regardless of how many of you people decide to throw your dignity, your own personal dignity, into the trash heap in an attempt to atone for a sin that cannot be atoned for. It can't be. This may well prove to be Among other things, among many other factors, it may prove to be the one thing that undoes this country. And I guess if you want to have a philosophical conversation about it, I could actually endure the conversation saying maybe we deserve it. Maybe. But all of this talk about Kumbaya... (sighs) Understanding and having a national conversation about race, it's a fucking monologue, man. If you want to have a national conversation, there has to be two sides to the conversation. And you have to have a little give and take. You got to have a little ability to listen while you're talking. (laughs) That's what a conversation is. This is a monologue. This is dictation. And the other part of the country is supposed to just sit there and take it. Have nothing to say. Good fucking luck with that. Good fucking luck with it. You're not getting a lot of pushback right now. I am telling you, I have a few examples I can show you. And I just know, having grown up in Michigan's sweaty redneck groin, which might as well be Kentucky, they're not just sitting there nodding along, say, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They probably got a whiff of the stuff you're slinging turned you the hell off and started talking among themselves and are trying to figure out when they are going to take the opportunity to be heard, too. If you really want a clear and nuanced understanding of this national sin, try reading and refarting anything, anything, something, anything other than tweets and propaganda dispatches, revisionist history pieces, presented as news... Anything. And not that you, loyal tonzillophiles, would ever do that. (laughs) If you're really interested in this, go back and check out Tocqueville's Democracy in America. He toured all around this country at the height of slavery, I think the 1830s. He observed it in action, and he was discon, he was French. He didn't give a shit one way or the other about the United States. He just went along, saw what he saw, wrote what he wrote. Presumably without a dog in any kind of fight. He has some really interesting things to say about slavery. The most interesting, I think. I have to go back and read it myself again to to kind of remember everything that he put in there. But the one thing he said that really stood out to me had to do with white terror of black rage. Whites in the 1830s were terrified. Terrified of a black revolt. Because I think... This is just me now. This isn't Tocqueville. But I think that with a lot of people throughout the history of this country, from slavery forward, I think there's unwelcome empathy sitting in their veins where they see themselves in that person's shoes and know, have an idea, at least a glimpse of how that would feel and what they would do if they were there. And it terrifies the shit out of them because I think they know. They know in their heart of hearts the silent, unspoken piece of that marrow of humanity that I like to talk about. Way down deep inside, not even ever going to talk about it, but they'll think about it. Even on the subconscious, they'll think about it. They know that that crime could never, ever, ever be paid for. And so rather than deal with that, Rather than deal with this onslaught, this flood, this tsunami of black rage, they suppress them. I've never done a you know, scientific study of anybody that I've met. But I strongly suspect, strongly suspect that people are less racist than they are terrified of paying the bill. That bill cannot be paid with paper. And they're terrified of being held accountable. And there's a legitimate argument. Why should they be? Why should somebody in this day and age be held accountable for slavery? Slavery. That's what we're talking about here. Reparations for slavery. Well, why should we be held accountable for This is what I'm saying. These people are dead. The people that started this system, perpetuated it up through the Civil War, have been dead for 160, 70, 50, 40 years. How do you exact revenge on the people who wronged you when the people who wronged you are dead? I understand I have a pretty good personal concept of that. Not in that context, but I do have a real clear concept of what it feels like to feel like you cannot get justice, that you cannot get the fairness, the balancing of the scales that you want or need. It turns into an innate rage, an anger that can't be quenched. So yeah, I would definitely add Tocqueville to that list. If you want to learn more about, you know, the the colonial period and slavery in the colonial times, I'd also suggest grabbing anything that does not deify nor crucify historical figures like like Jefferson, obviously, Washington, Adams, Hamilton, all sorts of people from the colonial period. Get a good biography of them. Get their writings. Read them for yourself without some commentary, without some editorializing, posing as analysis. Read it for yourself. Christopher Hitchens? <laughs> Admitted radical. He came from his uh, predictably leftist angle. Uh, but his Eminent Lives edition on Thomas Jefferson is mostly fair, it's insightful as always, and it's brief. It's a good place to start. Eminent Lives edition, to, uh, Christopher Hitchens on Thomas Jefferson. Beyond that, shoot me an email. Send me a DM on the Facebook page. What I'll, I will be happy to send you links. This was supposed to be just a quick and amusing bitch-slapping. <laughs> Of the Honorable Mr. Kane. Yes, things do go off the rails from time to time here at the Toddzilla podcast. Escaping the Cave. I almost said the wrong name on own damn podcast. One other thing I want to say, and I'm going to shut this thing down. I think this is enough for today. I didn't even, again, I didn't get to it, but this is a good opening salvo, I think. One other thing I'm going to say when it comes to Thomas Jefferson, I had never heard this before um, delving into, I think, his biography, one of his biographies I've got, and there was something else. But he postulated, probably privately, I don't know that he, he ever put this out publicly, but one of, his, one of his letters, I think, he supported abolition long before the revolution. He tried to get it done. He petitioned the king, petitioned parliament. I'm going to keep saying that. English king, English parliament. They rejected the petitions. But he had conversations about what to do once the slaves were freed. And he said, directly, uncomfortably from our perspective, that once the slaves were freed, they would have to be deported. Either sent back to where, from where they came from, or sent to the Caribbean, a black colony in the Caribbean. Because people who owned slaves would never see themselves as equal with what was once seen as their property. And black people would never forgive that. Had nothing to do with diversity, none of this other stuff. Had nothing to do with him being a racist. It was a practical viewpoint. And I dare say, looking back at 260 years of history, 55, I think he's right. I think he was proven to be absolutely right. The only way that slavery could have been made even close to right would have been to give those people an opportunity to go back to where we took them from or give them a chance to start their own country. But integrating slaves, integrating them into the overall general society, Dicey at best. And again, I'll take this back to what I was saying about Tocqueville. White fear, white terror of black rage. And suppressing that as much as you're suppressing on a racial scale. This is what a conversation on race really sounds like. It doesn't sound like a monologue. It doesn't sound like someone preaching in front of a television camera. It's a back and forth. The one thing that I want an answer to, the one thing that I want to hear is where is the path to forgiveness? How do we actually get there without fighting a perpetual reparations war? Because until that exists, there is no prayer, no chance in hell that this country is even going to come close to repairing the damage done 260 years ago. It can't happen. White people aren't just going to lay in the street and let people step on them. And they shouldn't. They shouldn't. If you're doing that, if you're washing the feet of a black person because you're ashamed of being white, I'm ashamed, I'm ashamed. If you're doing that, I never, ever, ever want to hear the words black dignity come out of your mouth again because you have none yourself. You have no concept of what dignity is. It's a word you are no longer allowed to use That is one of the most undignified things I've ever seen. <laughs> Sorry. And there's another one. There's another guy. This this guy uh, was trolling white people in New York City. Did you see this? It's kind of funny. It's worth looking up. He decided to take the camera out and started to like walk up to all these white women, white people, whatever it was. Say, you owe me this. You got that, blah, 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 blah. I wonder what it was. I want you to say that you're a dirty white person and you're a racist or whatever. <laughs> He got so many people to basically just, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He was trolling you. He was trolling Cracker Ass America. But they did it anyway. And Cracker Ass America, oh, the, the conservatives, the batshit conservatives, are like, oh my God, I can't believe he was doing this. can you see? This is what's wrong with America, blah, blah, blah. They took him seriously too. When he went out to prove a point. It's one of the most undignified psychological attitudes I can think of. It is the Uncle Tom psychology. Get a hold of yourselves, kids. Have a little dignity. You want to have a real fucking conversation about this? Fine. Let's have it. But you're not going to have that. By stifling, stifling the majority of voices in this country. You're not going to have it. And you, whitey, when you found whatever shreds of dignity you have loitering in your groin, whenever you find those and can sort of tape them together, paste them together, start using them again, start having a real conversation, stand the fuck up. If you're friends with these far-left Uncle Toms, always trying to shut people up, always trying to shut the other perspective down so they can rant and rave and preach and monologue to them, if you are part of that, yet you've got a shred, shred of personal dignity left, fight back. It carries far, far, far more weight from you than it does for me. They're not going to listen to me. They'll listen to you or you might at least be able to plant some kind of seed in their skulls. That's all I have to say about that. That's a lie. I got plenty more to say about this. Oh, yeah. Media and the cancel culture purge, that's one. Scarborough talking about Facebook, that's another one. Facebook social media crackdown, that's another one. Oh, on morality. I would invite you to go check out Joan Didion's essay on morality sometimes. That's going to be pretty much the foundational basis of this. Also, can I control this? I've got two parts of that. I've got the crowd, Laban, or Mencken coming up. I have material. I really do. If you haven't subscribed, do it. If you like it, share it. Give it to your friends. Give it to your family. Give it to strippers. They love me. EscapingtheCave.com is my website. ToddzillaX.com is the uh, old travel stuff. I have a Facebook page up. Be careful there. Read the notes section. I welcome you. I would love to hear what you have to say. Make sure it's you and not some scripture, okay? Is that too much to ask? I'm going to go ride a bike now. Thank you ever so much for clicking and We'll talk to you next time. So long.